welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Jennifer Winkler is a certified health and wellness coach based out of Phoenix, Arizona. Jen is also a trained fertility instructor for natural family planning using the symptothermal method. Through natural family planning, Jen helps women learn the different aspects of their menstrual cycle and how to use their own natural biomarkers in order to determine windows of fertile and infertile time, as well as hormonal imbalances. Jen's goal is to help women and exhausted moms who struggle with blood sugar crashes, insulin resistance, PCOS, PMS, or just want to feel better overall. She does this by using a ketogenic approach to eating and tailoring it to each individual woman, their health concerns, and what works best for their lifestyle and budget. In her free time, because moms have (laughs) not that much free time, Jen loves heading to the gym to lift weights. You will always find the latest health-related book on her desk, as well as a variety of podcasts downloaded onto her phone. You can find Jen Winkler at www.theketogenicmom.com. Jen Winkler, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you so much, Casey. It's been a it's a privilege to be here. It's an honor to host you. I kind of thought that you hadn't been on any podcasts. I was searching you on podcasts, but searching your full first name, Jennifer, and so nothing was popping up. So I'm like, great. I love this. I love when I can discover somebody first before anybody else. And then sure enough, I saw that our good friend Robert Sykes uh, got the jump on me. He's already been able to interview you and you've been on the Keto Savage podcast. Yeah, that was a real privilege. Um, I had him on my Instagram live one day and then we kind of reversed it. That's so awesome. Yeah. He is such a kind guy. I was able to be focused, uh, featured on his show as well. Um, and it was a really fun, you know, kind of two hour thing that we did where I interviewed him and he turned around and interviewed me right, right. Kind of back to back and it was way fun. And yeah, they just had their kiddo. I'm not sure if you saw that, but, um, baby Savage is uh, here. And they shared their birth stories too, which is, it was really beautiful. So Yeah. Yeah. I listened to a bunch of those today, actually, in preparation for this conversation, because I thought it was so relevant to what you and I would be talking about. But it it is cool to see how highly anticipated Baby Savage was in the the low uh, carbohydrate space. I think all of us were kind of rooting for them. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Well, cool. Before we dive into our topic today, I do want to ask you about your story, how you ended up finding a ketogenic diet, what brought you to that. Um, You do have a very interesting story, so I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, try to do the reader's digest version of it. (laughs) uh, So when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed with epilepsy, grand mal seizures, uh, the whole shebang with it. And shortly after I was also, I wasn't officially diagnosed with PCOS, but it's looking hindsight. That's when I should have been diagnosed. I wasn't diagnosed till 20 something years old. Um, but it was very clear. My cycles are very irregular. I was gaining lots of weight, mostly from the medication, uh, for the medication of the epilepsy. But then after that, even just, it, it was a roller coaster. Uh, anybody that doesn't know anti-epileptic medications have serious neurological side effects. Um, typically with mental health, a lot of anxiety, panic attacks, depression. So as a teenager, I had severe depression. Um, I don't know if I've revealed this on any other podcast, but there were times that, uh, let's just say it was pretty severe, (laughs) you know, like it, it got, it got bad. Um, the will to live was, was pretty low. So it was kind of one of those where the doctors are like, well, you know, it's controlling your seizures. It's important. So we, we just continued on eventually got pancreatitis, all these kind of things. I'd say I was in college when I heard about ketogenic, it was on a flyer somewhere. I don't remember the whole context of it, But I asked my neurologist when I went back home and she said, oh, it's just for children with epilepsy. It's it's not for adults. This was granted probably 2005-ish around then when it was starting to finally take its move. Um, So I dismissed it. I was like, okay, I guess I must have misunderstood it. Fast forward to 2016, I had uh, my first son and gained 80 pounds during that pregnancy. So insulin resistance was really taking a hold on me. And then 2018, I'm, it's just, my body was pretty much done. It was, I wasn't sleeping well. The medication side effects were really strong. Insomnia, again, panic attacks, anxiety. And I just got to the point, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So new neurologist now, because back then I was in Boston, um, she was like, well, there's no other medications that'll work for you. And I'm, I don't, I don't get it. Like there must be something else. And I asked her also, I was like, I remember learning about ketogenic somewhere. Can, 
can I do that? And she said, well, you can do modified Atkins maybe. I said, okay, help me. How do I do this? I have no idea. Um, she said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, okay. So uh, my husband and I decided to just take it upon ourselves. Coincidentally, when we were thinking about it, the popular documentary on Netflix, The Magic Pill, came out. So we watched that one. We don't care for subjective ones. We want to learn the science and the why behind it. So that podcast, that documentary was very helpful, watching three people's journey on ketogenic, a little autistic girl, too, who became verbal, like all the, wow, okay. That was so, crazy. She was a disaster. Yeah. And like within, yeah. you know, a few days of eating steak, she was a new person. It was incredible. And it, it, not to discount the difficulty that, that the parents went through as well, where, you know, a whole week she's throwing meltdowns because she wants her goldfish, like a crack addict wants their crack, you know, it's, but pushing through that difficulty, eventually she ate the eggs. I'll never forget that. Part. She finally dove into the scrambled eggs. And God, it was so beautiful. God bless those parents. You're right. Like to push through that disaster week to get through the other side, like, yeah. but I know that they're like, it, it was worth it to hear their child be able to communicate and verbalize things. So we dove into, we know we started looking at podcasts and YouTube videos. Um, you know, the traditional ones people look at in the beginning, Dr. Ken Berry, um, at that time, Dr. Adam Nally, who lives, who works not far from here. Um, I can't remember the other ones we looked at, but just really trying to get, how do we do this? And we made plenty of mistakes like everybody does in the beginning. But, uh, my husband, by the way, has colitis. And he was suffering through a major flare-up at that time, lost probably 10 to 15 pounds or something along that line. And five weeks into us starting, even with the mess-ups and not being super clear on macros or anything like that, his flare-up stopped. And then he started kind of forgetting to take the medicine because he wasn't feeling symptoms. So he's been med-free for, I think, four years now. That's no amazing. No wow. Now, did he, did he expect to see an improvement in that, or was he just doing this diet because you were doing it for support, and maybe if I lose five pounds, great kind of thing? Yeah, good question. So it was just for support. Wow. So he actually was going to go the complete opposite route and do juicing um, and see if that would help. So hindsight, he's always like, gosh, I'm so glad I did this to support you. He's like, well, it can't hurt. What we're doing already isn't good. So I'll just try it. So that was his mentality. Um, for myself, it took a little longer to see the results I was looking for. I did get clearer brain, you know, all the things people experience in the beginning, the energy, the mental clarity, my sleep got better. All of that was pretty immediate. Uh, but to reduce the medications, it took probably a year, including finding a new doctor uh, before they started reducing the medications. So the weight started shedding too, obviously, uh, which those were all important to me, but the main one was getting off my medications. So that's how I came to it. Um, where I'm at now with the medication is I got off of one of them. Both of them I was overdosing on, by the way, by prescription, not by choice. Uh, so one of them I'm off and the other one has been cut in half to a very low dose. And I could, if I want to, I could keep titrating down, but an adult with epilepsy, it's a little bit nerve wracking when you have children and you get a drive. So I don't have the side effects anymore. Um, I can switch to a generic brand, which is a big deal in the epilepsy arena. Uh, so it's, so I'm kind of okay where I'm at right now. Maybe in the future, I'll try reducing some more. Uh, but yeah, that's where I'm at with the medicine and the epilepsy part. PCOS is re reversed. Insulin resistance is reversed. Um, obviously, you lost a ton of weight. I'm at that like last five to 10 pounds area kind of thing that people get stuck on sometimes. And I'm okay with that. I don't care. I feel good. I have patience with my son when he's struggling. You know, it's, it's one of those in the future when you finally you don't realize how bad it was till it's good, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's really incredible. I want to go back to choosing that documentary. I'm so, so grateful for people who are putting out content about this stuff because you can find it. Vinnie Tortorich, all his fat movies and beyond impossible. Incredible. Jen Eisenhart, fat fiction, seeing people, you know, try a week on a, on a CGM continuous glucose monitor, do keto and feel amazing. And then do a week on standard American and turn into just gremlins. They were awful. Um, it, it's so cool that we have these now. And I wonder if I told somebody like go to Netflix and pick a documentary, they might not find the right 
ones per se? Like what made you guys choose magic pill and not fat, sick, and nearly dead or the cowspiracy or any of those, those bogus juicing, you know, BS documentaries. So yeah, I like that question. I, we did watch the bogus ones too. I'll admit it because we were on a search and to me, what made us, what I already knew ketogenic was for epilepsy. So that was the first link. The second was, again, I didn't see any subjective um, pushes, like any agendas necessarily. It was just, here are the facts of what happens when you eat ketogenic. Here is why you should eat ketogenic. What happens to your body with the ketones, with the brain stuff, you know, and it was, it was a very holistic approach. When we watch things like Forks Over Knives or any of the other agended ones, I didn't see a, round, a well-rounded approach to it. It was kind of a very agenda situation thing. So I think that's why, again, we saw the other ones, but that's why we decided to go the ketogenic approach through that documentary versus following another one. Yeah. I mean, even, even knowing that it was going to be completely bogus, forcing myself to sit down and watch game changers and you like, they're screaming at you that, that you have to do this this way. And it's maybe that's a really good, you know, answer that you gave in a really good North star. Is somebody really trying to push something onto you and sell supplements or, or is somebody really genuinely sharing information? I think if you really pay attention, that can shine through. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I haven't seen game changers, honestly. Um, don't waste your time. I, <laughs> I think since I've found that this is the truth, you know, this, this is the way ancestrally we were meant to eat. I don't even bother with the other ones. Um, I only will watch it if it's clearly pushing, I mean, clearly explaining like sacred cow is another really, really good one by Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers. Amazing. Um, that one was a fantastic one debunking the climate issues and, that cows pollute the earth or, you know, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't even bother with that anymore. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good approach. I mean, early on, I remember going on to like vegan and vegetarian websites and trying to pick apart things. And after a while, you're just like, what are you doing? Why, why am I spending time, you know, trying to tear down somebody else's argument? If somebody wants to do this, that's great. I'm just here to help you. If you want to try something different, I don't need to go around and try to like throw shade at everybody else. If they choose something different. Exactly. And it's, Gosh. So that point it's, I feel like even sometimes within the low carb space that can happen, you know, whether you're low carb, keto, paleo, carnivore, um, carnivore with fruit, you know, whatever it is, there's, I've noticed, unfortunately, such a division starting to happen. Um, when, when can't we just let people decide what is good for them? You know, um, there are the people that are trying to push it. Oh, you have to eat fruit if you're carnivore. You have to have, you know, half a plate of vegetables or you can't poop or whatever it is. You know, there's there's all these things. And it's like, just put the facts there and let the person decide for themselves Agreed. what's good for them. Agreed. That's how I see. I love and that. that's how I approach in my coaching too. I don't I don't subscribe to carnivore or keto or paleo. I, I look at my clients and I say, okay, let's see where you're at. Now, tons of gut dysbiosis and all that stuff, I will suggest something closer to a carnivore. Um, but if they're just looking to lose weight, balance blood sugar, keto is perfectly fine. You know, and I have some that track macros. I have some that don't, you know, it's, it's all over the board, but to be so rigid and dogmatic, I think it's starting to tear apart. What was such a good community? I agree. I completely agree. I, when I got into this kind of world and community, there were some of the most accepting and knowledgeable people that would always share. And you're right. I am seeing a lot more division. And I was just thinking about it the other day. Like if you take a scale and you have like plant-based way over here and animal-based way over here, and they're totally opposite ends of the spectrum, let's make a new scale. Let's put everybody who is trying to like care about their food on this one side versus everybody else eating a standard American diet. And we're, we're, we have so much more in common with even people we think we have so many disagreements with if we're just trying to eliminate, you know, processed foods and seed oils and, and refined sugar. Like let's, let's start there. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, and there are times where, um, yeah, I'll, I was going to say something I'll hold back, but yeah, I definitely agree with that. That makes a lot of sense. And that's why some people, when they do go vegetarian and do go vegan in the beginning, uh, they're seeing the, the results because one thing all of these things have in common is getting rid of the processed foods and getting rid of just junk, you know? Um, 
at least the serious vegans, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Vegetarians. Nothing with the Impossible Burger or anything like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, before we talk about um, some of the other content that you put out, I do want to talk about your journey into carnivore. Um, so you decided at some point that you know low carb was going great, keto was going great, but you did want to try carnivore. Was there any particular reason why you wanted to try it? Yes. So basically, in the beginning when I was keto, I was doing it properly with the vegetables and the low carb fruits, and we would only make a keto treat maybe once a month or something, just as or if there was some celebration going on. So we did it really well. I don't know what happened down the line, but eventually I was making those treats very, very often and feeding that sugar addiction I once had as a teenager as well. So the sugar cravings were very strong, even though I wasn't eating sugar. We were using erythritol. We were using allulose a little bit, but it was still hitting that those receptors in my brain that were saying, hey, give me something sweet. So my weight plateaued and I actually gained weight. My cholesterol actually wasn't looking great anymore. It was going the opposite direction, even though it was keto, right? So I knew I had to do something. I wasn't sure at the moment why I chose carnivore. I just knew it was helping a lot of people. And instinctively, I was like, well, I'm still low carb, so I'll still be in ketosis for the epilepsy aspect of it. Um, Let me just try it. So I told myself originally I would do like 30 days, see how it turns out, and I just felt so good. My ketones, you know, having epilepsy, I needed to do it in a therapeutic manner. So my ketones actually went up um, drastically. My blood sugar was controlled much more regularly. Um, My moods were improving even more so. And I had even more energy than when I thought I was already having energy. So I was able to start working out, which, you know, lifting weights and going to the gym and eating more protein will help to build more muscle. So that was the other aspect. I wanted to get more, um, build more muscle for more insulin sensitivity to see if that would help. And sure enough, a year into carnivore, I think it was a little less into carnivore when, or sorry, a little less than a year, had my cholesterol markers, my insulin, my glucose, the whole panel done. And it was the best it's ever been. Like there's still a few little LDL things that you know, that arena is always, people are like, oh, I don't know. Is it good? It's bad. Some people are like, no, you need less. Some people more. So my doctor wasn't concerned. He was like, it's fine. Don't worry. Um, HDL to trig was perfect, you know, and insulin was perfect. Everything was perfect. So, so I loved it. The cravings disappeared. Um, so now I'm slowly introducing vegetables again, one at a time, seeing how it handles, seeing if I get any skin breakouts like I used to. And it's, it's been good. It's actually helped with the binge aspect for me because I still, I feel like that's kind of like alcoholism or a drug addict. It's, it's, it's going to be there. It's very hard to get rid of. So for me, leaving, letting some variety come in, healthy variety. Uh, I bought some radishes today. That's going to be the next one I try out. Um, it, it helps me to not go and be like, give me some dark chocolate, give me some big pads of butter, give me whatever, you know? So it's, I guess that that's kind of like a little all over the place, but that's, that's pretty much the story. No, I think that's great. I think that's very well thought out. I know that faith is a big part of your life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you already mentioned your mood and things like that. Were you surprised going from a really good low carbohydrate diet to carnivore? Were you surprised by an increase in spirituality or connection in some way? Is that something that you can say you noticed? Oh gosh, I've never thought of that. Um, I think, I think the clearer mind was able, was helping me to be able to meditate more in a sense and really ponder some thoughts. I've never really, I've never really thought about that connection. I think what happened for me the past two years with everything going on in the world that we all know about, I think that in combination with a clearer mind led me to a deeper search. So like, okay, chaos is breaking out in the world right now. Um, let me just sit and pray because there's, there's stuff we can do, but our society is becoming more and more godless, which I feel like is the root of most of the problems happening. You know, we try and blame mental illness. We try and blame, you know, people that don't care. There's, there's so many different things that we try and blame more control, 
in the law for gun control, whatever it is. But the heart of it is people are turning away from their creator and that creates more division. So I, I think I'm just, I guess it does play a role is being able to not be overwhelmed and anxious all the time. I can just sit and breathe, sit out in the morning sunlight, getting my morning sun um, and just pray, have gratitude for what I do have, even though it's getting harder to get some of these things. So yeah, I guess you could say a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't want to like put words in your mouth, um, or paint a picture that wasn't actually true, but that was, you know, when I did 30 days of carnivore, same thing, like day 31, like this is great. I'm just going to keep doing this, but that, that within that 30 days, the increase of feeling more of a spiritual connection really surprised me. I always felt like I was pretty optimistic and positive, but there was something additional that happened in my brain that was like, I don't know, it was, it was a deeper deeper access to something that's hard to explain, you know, in my, my heart and in my brain that, that I didn't experience before. Yeah. I never thought of the connection of that, but I, I, I think that's very valid. And maybe it's all the B vitamins flowing to the brain and <laughs> you know, all that cholesterol helping the brain to think clearer uh, love and, it. Heart and all of that. Yeah. Love it. For somebody who doesn't really know, um, kind of a brief history about like epilepsy and epilepsy treatments. I think more people now kind of, you know, tie those two things together and like, yeah, epilepsy can be connected to ketogenic and and more people recognize that, but this isn't new. This isn't something somebody figured out like five, 10 years ago. Can you talk a little bit about how we originally were treating this? Yeah. So in the early 1900s was when they had discovered the ketogenic diet or therapeutic ketogenic diet for children with epilepsy. So they were having kids, having seizures. Um, the way they would treat the children was put them in the um, in their hospital and they would make them fast. I believe it was about 48 hours to get the ketones going. So they couldn't eat. It was 24 to 48, somewhere in there. They would make them fast so that the ketones get built up in the body and start healing the brain. And what I'm assuming is the gut as well, because as most people know, there's a deep connection with our gut and our brain. They consider our gut our second brain. So they would start the fast and then they would start the ketogenic diet on the children where it would be a very high fat. I think typically back then it was about an 80%, 80% of the calories was fat and then 20% was protein and carbs. So pretty much almost always the children stopped having seizures. They didn't have to stay ketogenic, but back then it was kind of like, there wasn't processed foods back then. It was just their basic foods. There were maybe a few little things here and there, but nothing like what we have today. So they were still pretty healthy. They were having their veggies and their, you know, maybe a toast with breakfast or something like that. As time evolved, pharmaceuticals came into the picture and they developed um, the first medication for anti, anti-epilepsy medication. And then when there was another one, another one, they said, why do we need to force kids to eat what I would call a healthy diet, but they called it ketogenic. Why force them to eat a different way when they can just pop a pill? And that has really become the mentality of not just epilepsy, but of many things these days, of heart disease, of blood pressure, of um, diabetes. Let's just stick ourselves with insulin every single time, you know? So that's where that started. And now there's a plethora of different medications that um, they will give adults and children alike. It's very rare that they will try ketogenic first. John Hopkins University, John Hopkins Hospital has done a lot of research with this. They now actually, I think for about 12 or 13 years, have had a whole section dedicated for ketogenic for adults now. And people can fly there. They can have you know, training on how to do it for themselves because it is very different. You can put a child in a hospital for a week, two weeks. It's very easy for that to happen. An adult, not so much. So, um, so there's lots of research with it. And John Hop- I think John Hopkins has about seven editions now on their ketogenic and modified Atkins book. And this last one has tons of stuff to show the evidence of how it can treat Alzheimer's, autism, ADHD, um, Parkinson's, lots of pretty much almost any neurological disease. Um, but yeah, they, if you really dig hard in the epilepsy world of it, they're, they typically say they will try one medication. If the medication doesn't work, try a new medication. If that medication doesn't work, try a dual medication, meaning 
or, uh, yeah. So having two medications, which is where I was at. And if that doesn't work, you just keep adding at that point. What it's supposed to be, and some places will do, is after the dual one, then they try the diet. Then they try the ketogenic. Really, it should be like the opposite. (laughs) Try the diet first instead of infiltrating the body with so much foreign substance. Um, But yeah, they didn't even approach it that way to me. I had to be the one to be my own advocate and try the diet. Wow. And it's like the, the knowledge that we had because of the medications, it just kind of almost like went away. And now we have things like the Charlie foundation and all these things like mm-hmm. bringing it back to light. Like that was what nineties that that was starting to happen where it was like, wait, we, we did this in the past. Where did this go? It's crazy. And if you told me like, yeah, we developed these drugs and the drug is like 80% better than the diet. Like, okay, great. This is great advancement of science and we're making progress, but that's just never the case. And that says nothing for any of the side effects. I mean, what side effects were you noticing? on some of those medications? So the first one I was on, I think it was only two or three weeks when I was 12. So I know nothing of that one. Then they put me on Depakote, which is Valproic acid. They said it was one of the safest ones that you could be on. It was a relatively new one back then. That one is what caused the insulin resistance in me. It is what caused me to gain as a teenager, which you can only imagine a teenage girl gaining up to two over 200 pounds. Is it was killer on my self-esteem. Awful. It caused mental um, issues where the depression was very strong. Um, the PCOS grew stronger as well. So having symptoms like, I can never say the word, but the one where there's like hair growing on your chin, the hair, hair, hair or something like that. Mm. I would have that. Uh, it, it would be like little things as a teen. You go to a sleepover when you wake up, even if I like, shaved it or waxed it or whatever, wake up and it's there and you got to kind of hide. So no one knows it's, it's so, so my self-esteem took the biggest toll to be honest. Um, but it was all those things. Pancreatitis. When I was in college, I was hospitalized with pancreatitis for a whole week. I was put under, I don't remember much because the pain was just so excruciatingly strong. Switched my medication from Depakote to Lamictal. I was on Lamictal. I had tons of breakthrough seizures. I had one or two before studying abroad in Austria for a whole semester. I was in Europe for five months, had six seizures there, came back. um, Then they started the dual therapy. So after that, that's when there was like up and down with the mental health part. Went on Lamictal, my mental health was a little better. Then when they did the dual, it was kind of eh, back and forth. So I would say definitely the depression, anxiety, panic attacks were probably some of the hardest parts most recently. before lowering the medications I was on now. Wow. So. Yeah. I mean, those are severe complications that you're talking about. And I just think about the, the window of time between, you know, you hearing the word ketogenic in 2005 to 2018 when hearing it again, like that's 13 years. That's a long time to be dealing with some of those things. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And it's, yeah, it, there was a lot of anger. I had, to, <laughs> I had to forgive. I had to get over understanding sometimes doctors, they just don't know what's the newest research. You know, they don't have time, unfortunately, with their hands tied with insurance policies to actually go and look at PubMed and go look at the newest research. And I don't mean to downplay my previous neurologist when she just said, I don't know, because she was sincere. She didn't know. And she actually had epilepsy herself. So I, I, I tend to wonder, like, if I had stayed with her and told her, you know, hey, this is working for me. Like, would she try it herself? As a doctor. Yeah. That's so interesting. I just, this is where I get so frustrated. I'm sure you do too. When people say this, this diet is not maintainable. You can't sustain this for the long term. Does that drive you bonkers? Yes and no. (laughs) I think inside it it does. Um, But I try to have mercy on people more like, okay, they don't have the education or the Maybe they didn't read what I've read, the studies that I've read. Um, they don't have the experience that I have doing it. So I try to just have a merciful heart on it and be like, okay, and, and shove it aside. You know what? It's it's going to be everywhere. It, it, yeah. So I, it's a yes and a no. Myself, I'm not, if someone tells me like, you shouldn't do this, this is bad for you. You can't do it long-term. Yes, that's going to bother me. If they're just saying it generally in the air, I'm like, okay, whatever, shoot it off. I, I can't 
take on stuff like that. I don't, I don't have the mental power to do that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do believe you can do a long-term because our ancestors did a long-term. As long as you're doing it properly, eat the fruits and the vegetables that are in season, um, have a primarily animal-based diet. Like you look at when people were, when it was like cavemen or whatever, that, that time, they weren't hoarding up vegetables from a grocery store. You know, they weren't holding eggs all the time. Even it was just, okay, let's go and kill. They still do it. The Maasai tribe, you know, they're going out, killing the animals to eat, drinking the blood, doing all that stuff. So then it put them in ketosis. They were eating, you know, once or twice a day, whenever they had the kill, if they came across strawberries, great. They would eat some. If they came across some vegetables, great. They would eat some. Um, but it wasn't the primary part of their plate. So when people tell me that, like, oh, this is dangerous for your cholesterol long-term, I'm like, why aren't we extinct? <laughs> right. That's what they did years right. ago. Yeah. So one of my favorite areas of the neighborhood is just a lake that's about a mile away from us. And we walk every morning, watch sunrise and, you know, really love that area. And there, you know, it's, it's a man-made lake, but there's still a diverse amount of things growing everywhere, all kinds of different plants and flowers and all a lot of diversity, a lot of different animals. And I've been pondering lately, like if I were living around here and I decided to go plant-based and I just wanted to live in this natural environment where there's lots of diverse plants growing, how long would I be able to survive? And it's like, there's not just like food growing all the time, even in growing season, which it is here just outside of Salt Lake in springtime, things are definitely blooming and growing and whatever, but it's not like foods everywhere. It's not spontaneous food that these plants are just giving us. So a great show going off of that. Um, my husband and I started binging. I don't know why we haven't heard of this before, but it's alone. Have you heard of alone? Yes. I need to start watching that. It's on my list. It's a really good one. We started in season one and we're just going through, but the first, like, I think two seasons they're in this remote area in Alaska, I think Alaska, Canada, Vancouver Island, wherever that is. Um, and, and that's exactly the point is like, okay, they can only bring for people who haven't seen it. You can only bring 10 things with you. And, uh, they have some walkie talkie to a talk to talk to other, like when they need help or when they're ready to leave and tap out. So watching them look for food is just like, and, and their excitement when they catch a fish, you know, they have to figure out how to make a little fishing line. And, um, cause you can't bring a big fishing pole. That's one of your items. So watching them, how excited they get when they get a salmon and two and three and all that, Oh my gosh, it's food, you know, but that was the thing all of them tried for was the salmon was the fish, the rainbow trout and all that because of the protein. They, some of them would go for the kelp, um, bulk help and some other ones because it has, it does have some healthy ingredients. It was like, I can't remember, but it was something that helps the thyroid, whatever it was. And, but yeah, that wasn't the bulk of it. The bulk of it was trying to go fishing and they didn't have enough to kill, you know, the bears or the cheetah or whatever else was there. So yeah, that, that's exactly if people want to see what you're talking about, that's exactly it. And wow. you see them kind of wasting away because they're not getting enough. They, they don't have the tools to kill the animals that would give them more meat. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good one. You it's cool. check it out. What a cool insight. It's such a cool thing that you would be able to identify that maybe most people wouldn't really connect the dots there, but knowing what you know, that's a really cool connection to make. Um, I love, yeah. I love your interest in women's health. Have you always been interested in helping other women or how did you get into coaching for women? Uh, and did you, did you know that's what you specifically wanted to do after fixing a lot of the issues that you were seeing? I think so. So I wouldn't say I always wanted to, uh, I originally in college, I wanted to be a nurse and I couldn't because of my epilepsy, because, you know, how do you <laughs> stay up all night when you need sleep? And if you don't sleep, you get seizures. So I didn't go into nursing, but from the root, I've always wanted to work in medical field, took a detour, worked in youth ministry for a bit and then teaching. And then when I was home with my son, that's when, like I said, we started learning about all this. So once I started seeing my hormonal dysregulation vastly improve on this, I was like, and, and seeing so many other people I know that had no idea the connection with, for example, eating enough fat in your hormones and your thyroid, like the deep connection with those three things is huge. And hardly any women know about that. Um, myself, I, as far as being a fertility instructor, teaching women how to chart their cycles, 
that in our, so I'm Catholic and part of marriage prep, we had to take a class on how to chart our cycles. Um, and taking that class was another eye opener for me to see, wow, this, this is like a huge tool to know when are you ovulating and when there's a chance of getting pregnant and not. And then even just as a health, it's a, literally a woman's biomarker, like your blood pressure, like your heart rate, um, any of those things. It's another biomarker that a woman can, a woman can use to see how their health is. When I teach my students, um, natural family planning, teaching them symptothermal method, they have to take their temperature, basal body temperature in the morning, and they chart their cervical mucus. So all these things tell them we, it's a long course and we teach them how to figure out when they're ovulating, when they're not. So some of them, their basal body temperature will stay low, which is a huge signal of low progesterone or thyroid dysregulation or estrogen dominance. And by those three things, I can tell them, Hey, you need to get some blood work done and see what's imbalanced here just by taking your temperature every morning. Right. And, and it could go even other directions, but that's kind of the most common. So when I started doing that, that's when I started teaching these women, their cycles and actually husbands come along in the class too. So they get to learn what's going on with their, their future wives cycles. And I, in the future, when I started learning that about myself, I was like, well, I, I like this. I can see how they go hand in hand. So that's why I decided to go with that. Um, and I actually recently also took some blood chemistry courses. So now I'm able to order those labs for women, um, and help them see. So if I do see someone that might have some signs of that, I can say, Hey, let's order these labs. And then I can check it out for you from a functional standpoint. Um, so that's really exciting too, but that's, that was kind of the crutch of why I decided to go that route. Yeah. That's amazing. How does the low carbohydrate ketogenic and carnivore approach fit in with fertility and family planning? This gets so confusing for people. We get questions about it all the time. And if, if you ask the right question to the wrong person, you could go down crazy rabbit holes and be so confused about this stuff. You'll probably just want to go right back onto like standard American. So how does the diet fit in? Can it be done safely? What are some things that women need to look out for? Okay. So ketogenic low carb, for me, it's about getting enough fats to balance the hormones. Um, the fertility instruction, primarily there's women like that will still be on birth control. will still be on, you know, using whatever contraception and a lot of times to come to it from a natural perspective where all you have to do is, and, and not every type of, um, fertility awareness method has to take the temperature. I like that one. Cause it's the most accurate. Once your temperature rises, you know, you've ovulated, you can't get pregnant, right? If you're trying to avoid pregnancy. Um, so that's why I like that one. It's, it's a very, very precise one, but the connection with the food is if a person's eating a standard American diet or a woman's eating a standard American diet, most likely they're not getting enough fats. If they are getting it, it's in the context of soybean oil, which causes severe estrogen dominance. That was my experience. I was a big Kashi fan. I thought Kashi was the healthiest brand you could buy. And then once I started learning in 2018 about all this stuff and reading ingredients, all of them, first ingredient was soybean oil. And it explained why my cycle was not getting back to normal after having my son. And I wasn't breastfeeding anymore either. And it was still all wonky. So when I started seeing the effects of what I was eating and how it was affecting my cycle, it, it was huge. Um, so getting the healthy fats, getting the coconut oil, getting the animal fats, all of that stuff helps regulate the hormones. Um, I could get into the science of it right now, but it would be too, too long, but our hormones feed on cholesterol. Our thyroid works on those fats as well. Our brains, like pretty much everything. So when someone's eating standard American diet, like I said, it's low in fat. Um, when, and then the other big, big aspect of it is when you're eating hundreds of carbs a day, especially in the form of processed foods, your insulin is rising to a point that it shouldn't be at. So therefore causing the insulin resistance. And therefore for many women, that is the root of their PCOS, the polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a huge cause of weight gain, um, infertility, and many other unfortunate symptoms. So bringing down the insulin 
then helps to regulate the cycles, um, having the healthy fats. And I, I have a client right now who is finally seeing after 10 weeks of working with me, she's finally getting her cycle back to normal. She finally ovulated after like 60 something days. And it was just such a big oh, excitement, you know, it's getting there and they're hoping to get pregnant again sometime. So um, fingers crossed for them. And it's just beautiful to see sometimes. I know I kind of got on a little side tangent, but I, I get really excited when these women push through and it's not easy. It's not easy to get off the sugar addiction, the carb addiction, but when they finally get to their goal, it's like, ah, it's just so rewarding when it's not me. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of your coach. Like, okay, this is a path. I don't tell them what to do. I say, okay, what's the next step we can do to help improve you? This is what you do need to do, but let's do it baby steps. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's just like, you did this. I'm only with you 30 minutes a week. Right. You have choices to keep going the rest of the week. And, um, yeah. So. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love that. I don't think most people realize that about coaching. We're not telling you what to do. We might give you a few suggestions more often than not. You just need somebody to give your ideas to it. I might give you an opinion or something. You just needed a sounding board. You already know what to do and you're already going to decide what you want to do. And I don't, you know, my client that I saw this morning, they're out living their life somewhere. I can't control what they're doing. So that, that's such a fun part of coaching and to be along with somebody for that journey is just so special. And so, so you would say for most women, the biggest thing is the carbohydrates in the diet are way, way too high. They're coming from the wrong places and there's not nearly enough fat in particular natural fats and or animal fats in the diet. Yeah, no, exactly. And sometimes the combination, actually all the time, the combination of the high carbs and the high fats, that's another big problem, not just reproductively, but health wise. Um, that's a big issue. So yeah, reducing the carbs is the big thing. If someone's struggling with um, insulin resistance. Like, and, and the, the thing is the doctors won't tell you till it's like pretty much almost too late. You know, it's the lab reference range for insulin. They say, I believe it's up to like 22 or 24. That's severely insulin resistant. Wow. All right. Like you already have a problem. It should be under 10. Your, your insulin should be, and they don't even measure it very often either. It'll, they'll do right. your A1C, they'll do your glucose, they'll do basic lipid, but they're not measuring insulin. You have to ask for it. And even if you ask for it, some doctors are like, no, 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 you're fine. You're, you know, you don't, it's, it's still unfortunately a big issue in the medical industry where they don't. So that's one of the other reasons I wanted to be able to order labs for my clients is, um, if I have a client that their insulin is okay, I'm not going to make them restrict carbs as much. You know, if their insulin is through the roof and their glucose is pretty high as well, I'm going to say, Hey, this is my suggestion, but do see a doctor as well, just in case, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I can't diagnose, I can't treat as a health coach, but I can give suggestions like you said. That's great. No, I, I don't blame people for being really confused about this because it's made to be confusing, but the insulin is rising to keep the blood sugar normal. And it stays normal for all of that time, like you're explaining. Like it could be decades where the ins the, the blood glucose is the same. There's no problem. It's it's totally controlled. But there's a huge problem because insulin is rising. You need more and more and more of it to have the same effect. And you're right. Like it's only when the glucose then is uncontrolled that we look back and go, "Wow, you're diabetic." So let's let's give you some more insulin. That's ridiculous. Right. It's totally ridiculous. No, it, is. it is. And actually, to that point, uh, I saw Maria Emmerich give a fantastic analogy of what you're saying with the glucose, the relation between the glucose and insulin. So with a car, you know, you have your RPMs and then you have your speedometer. If you relate your RPMs to the insulin and your speedometer to the glucose. So imagine that the visual is a lot easier to see, but I'm going to try and explain it the best I can. If you're driving your car and it's going 40 miles an hour, you're on some surface streets, you're saying, okay, that's a pretty steady pace, right? My car can go 40 miles an hour, great. That's like saying your glucose is 85, 89. Okay, great. But let's look at the RPMs. If your RPMs are like way up to seven and eight, in order to keep the car going 40 miles an hour, that is a problem. You got something wrong and you need to get the car checked. The seven or eight on the RPM is like having your insulin up at 25, 30, you know, anything above 10. It's like, okay, your pancreas is working very, very hard to keep the glucose down. So we need to check what's going on. And then versus the opposite, let's say your car is going 80, 90 miles an hour and you're going really fast. You're like, oh, I don't know. It's, that's like having your glucose maybe 
100 or something like that. Well, there's context. If your RPM is down at one and your ins, well, let's say two, and your insulin's like three or five, right? Somewhere in there. Okay, well, your your pancreas is working well. There, there might be something we can tweak with the glucose, but it's not anything to worry about. You know, it's maybe it's someone who's carnivore. You tend to run a little bit higher in glucose when you're carnivore. Um, but it's it's all in relation to each other. And that's something we use calling the, we use the HOMA IR calculator. So we see the relation and how the pancreas, how well is the pancreas producing the insulin in a sense. So yeah, I yeah, love I, I, that I, analogy. Love that analogy. Thank you, Maria, for, for doing it. And thank you for letting us steal it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to steal yeah. that one. <laughs> I love that. The, the, okay. So you mentioned something really interesting, which is most doctors might not even check insulin. If they do, they might not even know where it should be. And if the reference is 20, that's absurd. I didn't even know that. That's that's crazy high. The good news with a lot of this stuff is there are things that you can notice along the way that might say like, uh, this might be going on. So I'm going to take this right from your website. Are you a woman with hormonal imbalance, anxious and depressed and depressed often, constantly getting afternoon crashes, constant brain fog, difficult things to, re- to remember things, always feel a need to snack, can't lose weight, just don't know what healthy is anymore. Like most of those things Somebody could say, like, that's all normal. Like, I experience all of that stuff every single day. Or like my client yesterday was like, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of friends, and they were really healthy, and now all of them have been diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Like, what's going on? And it's like, th- there's there's things that are happening that can show you that something isn't right. And so I love that you've identified that. And and so what other, what other things am I missing as far as, like, people – especially women, you know, going through life, noticing that something just isn't quite right. And there is something I can do about it. And it's related to insulin. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, those are the main ones. Definitely a lot of the energy part is a big one. The weight gain is a big part of it. Um, I know there's not only PCOS, but like you said, the thyroid is a big one and it's slowly rising more and more. Um, where I've, I personally do not focus too well. I don't specialize in thyroid that much yet. I hope to in the fall take some classes, be able to understand it a bit more. But I do see a lot of women more and more getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's, hypothyroid, and all that. And I do see a lot of people who have been with other health coaches or doctors who do support ketogenic actually get better and either drastically lower their medication or are able to get off. Hashi, I think, is different. Um, it's because of the autoimmune aspect of it. Yeah, I would say that honestly, the brain fog, the energy, the tiredness, those are the big ones that people will say, like you said, they'll say it's normal. The problem is they confuse normal with common. Thank you. And just because something is common does not mean it's normal. We we have to understand that. It's it's so unfortunate. Another one, so I'm going to tangent a little bit on this one. Another one is when people say when they're older, they're in their 70s or their 80s, and they start getting all these diagnoses with different stuff. High blood pressure. I had a little heart thing. I had, um, I, I'm forgetting more, whatever. And they're like, oh, it's just the age. No, getting old does not mean you get sicker. That's not how it works. We're supposed to just die of natural causes eventually. And that's it. We're not supposed to die from the heart. We're not supposed to be taking 10 pills just because we're 70, right? It's getting old does not mean getting sicker. It just means maybe you might get a little more tired. Your body's getting a little exhausted. It's that's okay. You lived a long life, but to have to take these pills and all. So there's things like that. I think of because it's happening at a younger age. Now I know 30 year olds that are taking so many medications and they're, they'll joke like, Oh, I feel like I'm old, like an 80 year old with all these meds. I'm like, don't joke about that. It's not funny. You know, like get off those meds, stop paying for those meds pay for somebody to help you learn how to eat, you know, and, and heal with food. And that was Hippocrates big thing, right? Food is that let food be thy medicine, whatever happens to that in the medical industry. It's, it's non-existent. Yeah. So 
Thank you, yeah, thank I- you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I could not agree more. That drives me bananas when people say it's dad bod or I'm just achy and, you know, it's it's normal. It's not normal. You're right. It's common. It's not normal. It's uncommon to be really healthy and enjoy your life and move around and, and thrive until you drop dead at 90. I mean, even the concept of, like, retirement, that wasn't even a thing, like, a few decades ago. Like, you just work and do what you were put on this earth to do and serve other people. And you can do that for a very, very long time. And it's like, just because we have this medical model where we can keep you alive for a really long time, taking all of these medications and being very, very sick, like that's going to generate a lot of money for that, that industry. That's just is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I just thought of something when you mentioned with the retirement, I tend to wonder if people didn't retire as soon, depending on their job, obviously some people, a lot of people have sedentary jobs or sitting eight to five or whatever. But when you retire, most likely you're not going to move around as much. Most likely you'll be going out to eat more often um, and, and indulging in all these other things. So I, I wonder how much even something as simple as that can input, uh, can play a role in someone's health and well-being. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think one of my favorite parts about looking at, you know, blue zones around the world is not necessarily looking at what they're eating, but more looking at their level of connection and how, you know, older people are part of the community. They're, they're still cooking food and serving people getting up to 80, 90, hundred years old. And they, that's what they do. And that's, it's such a cool, um, thought, I guess, that is really lost on us, you know, living in, in this way here in America in 2022. Like it, it's just, it's not common. It's like you said. Yeah. Like if you go to any of the tribes, you go to the Inuits, you go to the Messiah or whatever. They're not like, Oh, I'm 65 years old. It's time for me not to contribute to my community anymore. <laughs> they're still working. They work, like you say, until the younger have to take care of them, which is probably, I, I don't study them enough, so I don't know their ages, but I'm probably sh- pretty sure it's, beyond 65 years old. Yeah, so. absolutely. I've heard some crazy stories of people going to those tribes and it's it's hard to determine when people were actually born, but people claiming well over 100, like 120 years old, 130 years old, like like weird crazy old people healthy dancing, like doing all kinds of great stuff that yeah, that you would never see that around here. So crazy. I, I wouldn't doubt that actually. I, I wouldn't doubt it at all. There's, I wouldn't there's, there's, you don't see like cancer plaguing them. You don't see all the, you know, with us, it's like one in three people have hypothyroid or what is it? One out of it's 88% of America is metabolically unhealthy, like metabolic syndrome. You don't see that in those tribes. That's right. That's right. And sadly, sadly here in the next few generations, you probably will like that, that tribe that we can study. It's probably not going to be for very much longer than we can because we keep pushing into them and they keep eating more industrialized food like everybody else. So sad. Hope not. I hope at least there'll be some so future generations can see as well. Yeah, so. I hope so too. Um, so your website, The Ketogenic Mom, means we have to ask you about being a mom, being a parent. Obviously, this way of life and eating has helped you a lot. It's clearly helped your husband a lot. How has it helped you both as parents? And also, what kinds of things does your child eat? Yeah, so my son is five. He'll be six in September. Um, he was actually diagnosed on the autism spectrum as well, and as well as ADHD. So, which a lot of times go hand in hand. So it's been helping him um, because we don't have, we, we don't buy the processed foods. We stopped buying it when he was, I think he was one or two. When we went on it, I guess we didn't fully think it out with our son at first. So we were still buying the goldfish for him and the Cheez-Its and all that. And as we started learning more about what these ingredients actually are, that's when we started making the swaps. What's really fun at this age is being able to educate him about it. Why don't we make those choices? Why don't we buy the goldfish? Um, today, actually, we were at we were at the grocery store getting some chuck roast on sale, and I decided to try out some goat milk for him. So I got some goat milk, put it in the car, and he's sitting there reading the nutrition label. He's like, "Mom, there's 11 grams of sugar in this." <laughs> that's naturally occurring sugar that's in the milk. They didn't add it. He said, "Oh yeah, it's not added." And I said, "Right, exactly." So being able to let them join in and let them understand what it is. Okay. Why don't we buy the Cheez-Its? You know, I told him, I told him about the oils, like those things make us really sick. And for him, he actually can't have wheat either. Um, he gets allergic reactions to it. So that's kind of a, a little bonus, but either way I tell him when you eat this, like in too much in excess, it can cause issues with people having to put needles and take insulin. And 
you know, Halas quotes insulin. And, and you get into this awesome dialogue that I wish I had as a kid. So that's how it's helped as a, as parents, you know, I bring, I've been bringing him into the kitchen more to help with cooking, learning to cut with knives. And so he can see how food is prepared and teach him those essential roles for, or essential tools for getting older. Um, I do have my mom here as well. Um, I'm a caretaker for her. So she was legally blind or she is legally blind and hard of hearing. So she moved in, I think three years ago now and was, had fibromyalgia, depression. Um, her eyesight was almost completely gone. Her eye pressure was really high. This is another one we don't talk about very much. So obviously she's just going to eat what we eat. She lost about, I believe it was 40 pounds. Her fibromyalgia is gone. Her fatty liver is gone. Her eyesight, the little bit that she has, she was supposed to be blind by now, but she still has it. And her eye pressure has been consistently normal. And even like to the doctor's degree, they're like, wow, this is incredible. This pressure, you know, they never thought she would have it. So it's almost like a diabetes of the eye that she had in a sense. She has glaucoma and um, retinitis pigmentosa. So the retina is detached, but I mean, it, it's incredible. She can still see her God's, her grandson, you know, a, a little bit, but it's, it's just incredible. So it, it has helped our whole family here. Our whole family eats this. We don't buy the junk food. We don't buy, we'll have keto treats once in a great while. Um, but we try to live the way, best way to, I guess for longevity in a sense. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Does he, did your son, does he feel kind of deprived if he's around friends and they're eating totally different or does he just feel like totally nurtured with whatever he has at home? Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are times, especially he goes to a charter school. Um, this was his first year. He just finished kindergarten. And there was one day he, when I picked him up, he was like, mom, I'm the only one that can't have gluten. And he just, we just called it gluten. I mean, wheat, sugar, whatever. And I said, yeah, it kind of stinks. You know, just acknowledging it. It does stink sometimes that when everybody around you is having Oreos and chips and all that, it's like, okay, I'm kind of the oddball out. I said, but let's look at it in the positive side. Do you think they eat as much bacon and pork chop and <laughs> And his face just lit up and he was like, no. Uh... And, and it's him of what he can have. So he's okay not doing it. There's going to be a time he's a kid where he's like, oh, I wish I could have it. But I mean, as adults, we still do too, right? You know, it's, oh, I wish I could have some ice cream. And then it's a fleeting moment. And then we're like, okay, look at the ribeye I get to eat now. Yeah. So, so that's what we're trying to instill in him is um, to appreciate what he can have and understand that that is not actually food. But also, this is a hard part also, <laughs> the kid who is on the spectrum is don't downplay them if they eat it. You know, don't be like, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. So that's the other part we're teaching him now is, is be respectful of other people's choices. Wow. Oh, I love that. What a cool skill to learn at that age, how to reframe things rather than looking at what I can't do. You know, look at all the things I can do. That That is amazing. And yeah, I'm, I'm super jealous of him that he got to be raised that way. That certainly wasn't my experience. Um, it wasn't mine either. <laughs> I love some of the I've, I've done times where, um, I would calculate how many carbs I probably ate in a day. And it, it was, I, no lie, it was probably like 800 carbs and three Eggos, wow. filling the whole thing with um, Jemima syrup, having the Pop-Tarts. Um, I'm half Indian, so I would have a lot of Indian sweets that my grandmother would make. It, it's just like, I, I don't think I had much protein at all as a kid or fat or healthy fat. So my, they just didn't know. You know, right, right. They did the best they could. Yeah. No, all the juice and the, the Kool-Aid. I remember our scooper was like, it had to be at least a cup and you put two in one batch of Kool-Aid, like yes. stir it up, dissolve it in like a batch a day. Like, yeah. I forgot about Kool-Aid. <laughs> Pretty nostalgic. <laughs> Pretty yeah, nostalgic. Yeah. Uh, you recently added uh, Primal to your coaching repertoire, the things that you coach. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that certification, what that's um, allowed you to, to do um, and how that's enhanced your coaching? Yeah, so I, I loved it. It was fantastic. I, I wanted to be more official because I feel like anybody can call themselves a health coach these days. I can say, oh, I, you know, and some of them are even multi-level marketing. And they don't really have education per se on how the body works. So to give an idea of just the certification level, this is the textbook um, of how much stuff we had to learn. So those of you on a podcast that aren't seeing it, 
This is uh, 700 pages is this textbook. Wow. And it literally looks like a calculus book. Um, yeah, that's so fine was, print. I can tell that's yeah, pretty fine print. <laughs> so they get into the science um, of like the ancestral aspect and the approach is more based on that. So it's not necessarily keto, carnivore, although those are underneath the umbrella. So just talking about the science of it, talking about the anti-nutrients in certain foods, um, how does cholesterol work in the body? And it, gosh, I could think of so many things. So we did, I, I, I completed that course simultaneously. I also took another course with them, which was the master coach. Uh, they called it level two at first and just renamed it master coach. That one gave more of the practicals of how to coach. Um, so we got to practice in the class for 12 weeks with other coaches and learn the best ways to help someone, um, how would I word it, be intuitive and find the internal motivation. So a lot of people think they're going to hire a health coach, like we were discussing earlier, to say, hey, do this, do this, this is your next goal for the next week, touch back next week. That's not what we do. What we do is it's a very Socratic method. So helping them to really think uh, about their choices, think about the why, why something may have happened. Why is this your goal? Um, tell me more about that. And, and just a lot of reflecting time and what would be the best way because, or best way to conquer that problem, whatever it is. And like some people ask on Instagram, like, oh, how can I conquer sugar? I keep messing up. Well, that's going to be different for everybody. Some people are type A personalities and would do great with like a habit tracker. Some people are not and just need a reminder of some sort. It, it, it's so different. So that's what the mastering coach session did. Um, and I started coaching a little bit beforehand, uh, just like two or three people. So I can kind of practice with it in a sense as well. And I wanted to kind of get it rolling off the ground. But yeah, since then, it was May, I believe, that I finished both classes. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's so cool. Um, I, I love that it has both aspects because they are different. It's one thing to know the science, but it's a, really another thing to know human psychology, how to make suggestions, how to, how to talk directly versus indirectly. Like, there's a whole skill set there that you can know the science, but if you can't communicate that effectively, it's not going to get through and it's not going to be very helpful. So I love that it combines the two of those. So congratulations to you, uh, Jen, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I definitely learned a lot. Um, I would love if you could tell people where they can go to find you and connect with you and your work. Yeah. Thanks so much, Casey. I really appreciate you having me on as well and being able to share all this um, information and, and my story. Um, yeah. So like you mentioned before, my website is, I try to keep it easy, theketogenicmom.com. Rhymes, easier to remember. On Instagram, I'm pretty active on there. Coach Jen Winkler, and it's with one N. And... I have a Facebook group. I honestly am not very active on there. But yeah, you can reach me at either one. Uh, my email is on my website, jen at theketogenicmom.com. And as far as my coaching, I have my specific niche of helping moms who are exhausted and want to get off the exhaustion energy roller coaster. And I do a free session so we can talk for 30 minutes and see if we're a match. I don't take on everybody. If I feel like I can't help somebody, I will be honest. And I have a uh, collection of other coaches with different specialties that I say, you know what, I can't help with this. I'm glad you reached out. Congratulations on finally taking the step, but this person might be a better fit for you. Maybe check them out. And I have done that a few times. I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this to spread awareness of what is the best way to eat and how to feel good. And I feel like that's one thing I like with some of these health coaches is we're all in it together for the same end goal. We're not trying to hoard all the clients, right? So that's, I, I mainly help with that, but there are other women with other issues. If I feel like I have the capability and we feel like we click, then we work together. And I have a 12 week program I typically assign um, where they get their own app and accountability for every day. They get little education pieces every day, habit tracker, what action to take the next day. Um, so it's a really fun little educational piece in between the client sessions as well. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds very comprehensive. And I absolutely love your point that like, as coaches, we're not out trying to compete with each other. We are creating, you know, better health with everybody and everybody 
needs it. There's so many people that need your work and we can all go out and help people together versus trying to, you know, again, like compete with each other. I think that's such a, a valuable lesson. I'm so glad you take that approach and you recommend other people if you feel like they're a better fit. That's uh, really no yeah. surprise getting to know you and how wonderful of a person you are. So Jim Winkler, thank you so very much for everything that you've done, everything that you've had to go through in your life and to be able to, to learn this stuff, but then the gift to be able to share it. We really appreciate you and all your content and uh, the time you spent to be on our show today. So thank you so very much. It was an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. Thank you again so very much for continuing to listen to and support Boundless Body Radio. This little passion project that we started almost two years ago just continues to steadily grow. We are reaching more people than ever, and we keep receiving so many inspirational and amazing messages from you. We see it in all the reviews that we get, and we really appreciate that. So thank you so very much for that. We love understanding which guests you really connect with and which content you really appreciate the most. We wanted to take a second also to give a huge shout out to our amazing guests Yes, we love the people that we've been able to host and all their amazing content in these awesome conversations. And we have to say in the pipeline, we already have lots of great episodes that will be coming to you soon and lots of great guests. Some will be new to the show and others will be familiar to you if you have been listening to our show for a while. So look forward to that on our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. We are still running a lot of the same offers that we have been running for the last few months. These offers are complimentary and we've really had a great time connecting with people all over the world who are taking advantage of these. So if you go to our website, which again is myboundlessbody.com on the main page, you'll find a button that says book. Now you can book either a functional movement screen, which is a movement screening tool used to evaluate movement patterns to optimize mobility, fitness, and injury prevention. We do that virtually through Zoom with a bit of creativity. You can book that session, which takes about 30 minutes and is complimentary. You can also see another booking for a 30-minute consultation with us where we can really chat about anything that you like. We can talk about fitness or nutrition or help you come up with a plan for you to be able to reach your goals. As always, it really helps us grow if you leave us a rating and review. So please be sure to go to Apple, leave us a five-star rating and review. And thank you, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio.